We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. And you can check out my Substack, TrevorLane.substack.com, where I break down all kinds of NBA news, including a little bit of Lakers as well. Today, this is kind of a bonus episode. I've got a lot more questions. We did the last episode. Uh, we had a, a long Q&A session with questions coming in from fans. I've got more that we need to get into, and so I kind of wanted to put together this bonus episode because there's a lot of stuff swirling around the Lakers right now that we need to talk about, and a lot of these questions are going to springboard us into those discussions. And of course, I want to thank everybody who provided those super chats in our post game after Lakers versus Blazers, so I want to make sure they get recognition as well. So all of that adds up to bonus show. That's what we're doing right now. I want to get into some questions and comments coming in from Lakers fans and address a number of topics, particularly one that I was really surprised we didn't get into on the last show. And it's because this question wasn't, we didn't quite get there. We stopped right before we got to this one. And it has to do with Kendrick Nunn. And there's a lot, a lot swirling around here. Nathan said, what happened to Nunn? He hasn't really performed that well. And it sucks because I was really rooting for him this season. Yeah, so Kendrick Nunn, Three games, three more than he played last season. We should note that. But three games, first game against the Warriors, 23 minutes, five for nine, 13 points, three turnovers. Had some moments where it looked a little bit sloppy, but but hey, he got out there. He was a double-digit double scorer. Okay, we'll give him that. Against the Clippers and against the Blazers, combined, combined two games, he has played a total of 21 minutes. He has shot 0 for 10. 0 for 10 from the field, obviously no three-point makes, seven attempts from three, no makes. Again, 21 minutes total in two games, no points, three turnovers in those 21 minutes, three assists, one block, two rebounds. That's not very productive for a guy that we were really high on. I mean, look, when the Lakers signed Kendrick Nunn, not this past summer, but the one before, when they got him for that taxpayer mid-level exception, people around the NBA went, what? How? How did they get this guy for that little? He's a 15-plus point-per-game scorer for the Miami Heat for two seasons. He's a younger player. He's a guy that can score the basketball. He's a guy that can act as your lead point guard when you need him to, even though he's more of a score-first player. How did the Lakers get him for that price tag? Spends all of last season on the shelf with injury, uh, dealing with that bone bruise in his knee. And so there was a lot of optimism that, hey, look, the, he can still be that guy again. 
And so far this season, you haven't really seen it. In fact, he's looked a little shaky. Now, there were some moments in preseason where I thought Kendrick Dunn looked really good. Where people went, wow, okay, this guy can be maybe a starting guard, but probably you're off the bench sixth man type guard. Instead, what we've gotten the last two games is a very limited reps for Kendrick Nunn as Darvin Ham has done other things in order to try to win games. He's gone away from Nunn. Now, that doesn't mean, look, we're three games into the season. That doesn't mean all is lost and to write him off or anything like that. But you can't help but be a little bit disappointed based on what we've seen out of Kendrick Nunn so far compared to what the expectations were. The expectations were Kendrick Nunn, maybe he can come in and kind of be the Malik Monk this season, provide to some scoring off the bench, uh, give you some floor spacing, that sort of thing. Hasn't really done that. Uh, Lonnie Walker has taken on an even bigger role, and I think that's come at the detriment of Kendrick Nunn. Now, I still think he's a talented player. We've seen two games in a row where he hasn't looked good, but what we tend to do this early in the season is it feels like every game matters so much, and so we take things, and whatever we see, we project out, and we assume that that's just what we're going to see moving forward. And that's not always the case. Look, if this was a three-game sample size that we were getting in, I don't know, the middle of January or something like that, we would look at it very differently because we would have a lot more information to draw upon. We don't even have last season to pull from when we're looking at information regarding Kendrick Nunn. And so I still have some hopes that this is really just he had a couple of bad games, maybe something wasn't clicking or whatever, and that better days are ahead. But that said, he you can't help but be underwhelmed by what we saw out of Kendrick Nunn so far. Um, again, 0 for 10 in the last two games shooting the basketball. And he's he's supposed to be one of the better three-point shooters on the roster, 37 38% right in there for his career. And he's 0 for 7, and the Lakers are shooting 21% from three on the season. Not great. He needs to turn that around, and the Lakers need to turn their shooting around as well. Uh, Alexander said, Ham is a good coach and can make good decisions, but he is not enough of an a-hole yet. Kobe would have loved that comment. Be shrewd and have less compassion for Russ. I think people are looking at Russell Westbrook being subbed back into the fourth quarter of the Blazers' loss as Ham either felt coerced to do so because of Russell Westbrook's status, because of the amount of money that he's making, because he's a former MVP, or he felt too much compassion for Russell Westbrook, knew it was going to be a big deal if he had benched him down the stretch. Something like in any event, whatever excuse you want to pin it on, the bottom line is that Darvin Ham couldn't bring himself, despite knowing that it was the right thing to do, to bench Russell Westbrook. I don't know if that's the case or not. That's the general sentiment that's out there, but I'll tell you this I would be surprised if he is closing the game against the Denver Nuggets tomorrow. When that takes place, I would be surprised if that is happening in the Lakers' future here because we just saw what happened. Darvin Ham at the end of that Blazers game did bench Russ. It was too little till too late at that point. He had already taken that infamous shot at the end of the game, gone two for one, and uh, really ruined the, the Lakers offense at that point. And again, it was not, I talked about this last show. It's not all Russ. It's not. Not all Russell Westbrook. One guy doesn't make you shoot 21% from three on the season. He doesn't help. 8% for Russell Westbrook. Blows my mind. Like, how is that even a real stat? 8% from three for Russell Westbrook. But... One guy does not equate to all of that. So it's not all on Russ, but I do think that Darvin Ham moving forward will be quicker to pull Russell Westbrook out of games, will not be as willing to give him opportunities in the fourth quarter. Because let's face it, 0-3 right now, the Lakers, if they were shooting decently, they should be 2-1. and 
They should have relatively easy victories over the Clippers and the Blazers based on the level of defense they're playing. They are the number two rated defensive team in the NBA right now. Second in defensive rating. That's fantastic. But it also goes to show how bad they've been on the offensive end in terms of just missing shots to actually drive that second best defensive rating to an 0-3 record. It tells you how bad the offense has been. Dead last in the NBA in offensive rating and dead last in the NBA in rebound percentage, second to last in offensive rebound percentage. And that actually makes it worse. That makes the poor shooting worse because if you are getting the second fewest percentage of potential offensive rebounds, so out of the number of offensive rebounds that are potentially available for the Lakers, the Lakers are 29th in the NBA at actually securing those offensive rebounds. You're not able to mitigate your missed shots at all. See, you can if you're missing a lot, but you're also getting a lot of offensive rebounds, then you can kind of make up for the fact that you're not shooting the ball very well because you get all these extra opportunities. That's what you need. If you're going to not shoot well, you have to get more chances at the basket. Offensive rebounds can provide that, and there's going to be more opportunities to grab them when you're missing a lot. The Lakers are not doing that. The Lakers are missing shots and not crashing the offensive glass, which is compounding things. Again, all of that is a long-winded way to say that I don't think that Darvin Ham is going to mess around with any of the lineups going forward. They need to win. He knows that regardless of whose feelings get hurt or whatever, Darvin Ham has said facts over feelings, he's going to put out there whatever lineup he thinks is going to win, period. Uh, Andrew Escamilla said, I'm the fan who just wants a good game. F a ring. Is that where we're at? Is that where we're at at this, at this point as Lakers Nation that we're saying, uh, let's lower the bar. We don't even need to see a contender. Just see a team that is going to compete night in and night out and give us a chance to win some games and feel good. It's been so long since we've seen the team like, I don't know, go on a win streak. Things like, like we haven't felt that in a while. It hasn't been that fun to watch the Lakers in a while. And so I can understand what Andrew is saying. Just wants to see a good game, like an enjoyable game of basketball. And again, defensively, this team is doing that. They are competing there. They are getting results there. The offense has got to come around. Uh, this Super Chat says, I ran it and the teams that are likely to tank and the players they would trade, none of them help us. No need to wait. Take a look at yourself. Rob sucks. Okay, so look for yourself. So he's saying that the Lakers, this idea is out there, that what the Lakers are going to do is they're going to wait for the dust to settle around the NBA. 20, maybe 25 games is what we're hearing. Sometime after Thanksgiving, that's when they're going to really ramp up the trade talks with the idea being that, number one, that'll give the Lakers a better sense of exactly what it is that this team needs. But it will also allow some teams out there to make the decision, you know what, we don't have it this year. Let's bottom this thing out. Let's tank. Let's do what we can to get into the Victor Wembanyama sweep, sweepstakes and let's trade away talent. And that could provide some opportunities for the Lakers that are simply not there right now. That's the, the thought process. That that's what they're going to wait to see if that, if that takes place. And they're hoping 20, 25 games. By then, teams will have a better sense of where they're at and might make that decision to go ahead and sell off some of the talent on their team. And then the Lakers can take advantage. Uh, he's saying, look, if you look at the teams that are likely to do that, there's not that many pieces that really move the needle. There's not going to be this surprise, guess what? This great player is suddenly available. Oh, and Lakers, we're going to give them to you for Russell Westbrook and a couple of first-round picks. So all you're doing is putting yourself in a worse position for when you finally do pull the trigger. 
it's clear the Lakers need a trade. Everybody around the league knows that. And so that's why it's going to be really hard for them to get a good deal. But it's clear they need a trade. And so the longer you wait to pull the trigger, the more games you're just going to lose with an imbalanced roster and give yourself that steeper of a hill to climb in order to get yourself back to where you want to go once you do make a trade. I think it's a fair point. I think it's a fair point. Is any of this really changing? Does Indiana, 20 games from now, 25 games from now, does Indiana say, you know what? All right, Rob Palenka, you win one first round pick in a couple of seconds for Buddy and Miles. Here you go. Is that Maybe, maybe the Pacers just decide, you know what? We're going to lose Miles Turner for this, in the summer for nothing. They've paid a good chunk of Russ's contract. Let's just get this thing done. I guess it's possible, but is it likely? Probably not. I mean, what's really changing between now and 20 games from now? Now, perhaps teams around the NBA are not willing to do a trade yet. Like the Hornets. We talked about Terry Rozier. Maybe the Hornets right now have the mindset of we're a few games into the season. Let's wait and see what's what before we just pull the plug on this thing. Lamella Ball still healing up. Let's see what we can do with the roster as is. Until then, let's not go and make a move right now. So Lakers, look, we're interested in talking to you, but we need some time. A lot of teams in the NBA are, are in that mindset right now. It's very early. They don't want to make a trade now before they really know what it is that they have and what it is that they need. So that's possible that this is part of the reason why you don't see a deal getting done at this moment because teams around the NBA aren't ready to pull the trigger on trades just yet. They need time to pass. The Lakers might be urgent to do something now because they're 0-3, but that doesn't mean other teams are. That doesn't mean other teams are ready to push that button and say, yes, let's make a trade. So that's a factor too. But I still, I agree with the premise it's hard to see what really is going to change in the next 20, 25 games, whatever it winds up being, beginning in December. Now, December 15th, all the guys who signed contracts this last year will become trade eligible around the NBA or most of the guys who signed contracts this past summer. So sometimes that opens up opportunities. Usually the trade season, that window starts December 15th because so many more contracts become tradable at that point. So maybe that's what the Lakers wait for. But Based on what we've seen so far, can they really afford to wait that long? If they were shooting 32% from three, if they were worst in the NBA for last season, we'd be saying yes, because they'd be two and one right now with two fairly dominant wins over the Clippers and the Blazers, but they didn't. And so instead, we're looking at this saying, man, this team needs to get something done because this is not working. Just Beasy said, Matt, Sean, and Trev, the three of us were on when we were taking these questions, said, how's y'all jumper looking these days? Heard the Lakers are having tryouts on Monday and could use all the help we can get. I can't say how the jumper is looking these days. I haven't played a ton recently. I used to play all the time. I will say that I can I can bring a left-handed jump shot to the fold. I consider myself a uh, poor man's, maybe homeless man's version of Derek Fisher. That was my style of, of game. Um, but... I don't think I could be a consistent shooter. I don't know if I could shoot better than 21% from three right now in the NBA, maybe back in the day. But point taken, the Lakers are looking for anybody who can shoot the basketball right now. Just Ricky said, Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Trade Russ said, by the way, McLemore isn't with Portland anymore. Yeah, we had talked about Ben McLemore a little bit and whether or not the Lakers could have brought him in or, or whatever. That was something we talked about on the show. Yeah, look, the Lakers, they knew that this wasn't going to work, right? I mean, they knew over the summer that 
it's not ideal to bring Russ back. Look, they, they spent all summer trying to trade him. That was not their, their ideal option was not let's go into the season with Russ on the roster. The ideal option was let's find a trade that we like. Problem is they didn't find a trade that they liked or they were willing to pay for. So now you're kind of caught in the same situation. You're doing the same stuff. Only thing is this team's better than last year's team. Last year's team, you could look at it at certain points and you could say, well, these guys are not really, they're not playing hard, right? They're not. Last year's team was not playing. How many times did we get onto the postgame show and say, the master, lock, master lock, the effort, master lock, the energy, all of that that this team showed. They didn't play with the requisite intensity in order to win basketball games. They just didn't. And that's not to say they would win a bunch of games if they tried, but we saw a lot of games where, frankly, they didn't. That's not this year's team. That's not. You look at the way they're competing on the defensive end of the floor, and my concern is that they're going to be discouraged by losing games. They need to win games because I want that positive reinforcement for the kind of defense that they're playing. Again, second-best defensive rating in the NBA. That has to be recognized. That has to be rewarded. And the only way you reward it is with wins. They have to win games. And if you look at what's happening with Russell Westbrook and with this team, it's this team needs something. They need a trade. The roster is imbalanced. They need a trade to balance this out and to give them some of the skill sets that they need. Again, it's not all Russ's fault, but Russ's contract is the path to potentially unlocking this roster's true potential and fixing some of this by adding, if you can add some shooting in a Russell Westbrook trade, his team might have something. I'm not saying they're a contender, but there's something here that in my mind is probably worth saving. Probably worth it to give this team a real chance, at least based on what we've seen so far. It's early. I understand the Lakers aren't willing to pull the trigger just yet. But man, it's hard to watch this team struggle knowing that there's things out there that the organization, the franchise could do to help them to not struggle and to realize that potential and see the payoff for playing as hard as they are and playing with the defensive intensity and the defensive level that they are. They need to see that payoff for the effort that they're putting in and think the only way you get there right now is via a trade. I think they can pick up some ga- some wins between here and there. I- I'd still, I'm not going to believe that they are this bad of a three-point shooting team. And when the shots do start falling, at least to some degree, I think they are going to win some games. But in order to really let them reach their potential, you've got to find a trade. Uh, Chris said, oh, with some criticism here for us, said Lakers Nation wants to change its name to LeBron Nation, never holds him accountable. We talked about it. We talked about how LeBron James took some ill-advised shots, airballed a three. That's not great. But you're nowhere near in the game if you don't have LeBron on the floor. That's the difference. LeBron being out there changes so much for this team. And you have to understand that he might make a few mistakes. And we can certainly mention those mistakes and call out those mistakes. But the positives that he give you gives you massively outweigh the negatives. That's a huge difference than some other players that we might talk about. And yeah, talking about Russ, right? Like Russell Westbrook did some good things on the floor. Did they outweigh the negative things? Eh, probably not. Give him credit. He's competing on the defensive end of the floor. But it's not outweighing the negatives that he's bringing. Anthony Davis missed some shots. Is that outweighing the positive things that, that he's bringing? No. He had like six blocks. He's been a monster defensively. The positives outweigh the negatives. And that's why you don't hear as much criticism of those players because the net result is a positive for them being on the floor with you. 
you need them out there. That's the difference. Uh, Lorenz Billups said, I don't mind Russ having a three once in a while, but they weren't stopping him from going to the rim. Why stop? That's a good question. That's a good question. Because see, here's the thing. Four years ago, what would happen if Russell Westbrook saw Yusuf Nurkic defending him? What would happen if Russell Westbrook saw Ivica Zubats defending him? Even if those guys were playing back in the paint, doesn't Russ just see red at that point and explode over those guys? If he sees a big like that sitting back in the paint and disrespecting him by not even defending him at all, he just goes in attack mode, goes up and finishes over those guys, doesn't he? We're talking about highlights. What's happening now? Not attacking. Why? I mean, I'm speculating here, but maybe he doesn't feel like he can finish over those guys at this point. He hasn't been good finishing at the rim. And again, I would rather have him attacking the basket, but he hasn't been good finishing at the rim. And the challenge with that is when you do attack, let's say you're Russell Westbrook, you get full steam, steam uh, go full steam ahead, you attack the basket, you miss the layup, you don't finish at the rim. What happens is his momentum carries him off the floor and the opponent has a five on four, if not more, break going the other way. We saw that happen a few times against the Blazers. So... There's some negative reinforcement there when Russ is missing a lot at the rim. It just feels like he's tentative. And you have to wonder if everything, I'm talking about the entirety of it, is kind of getting into his head. He's hearing crowds gasp every time he shoots the ball. Uh, he's getting yelled at by, by fans and all that. And again, I'm not trying to take the responsibility off of Russell Westbrook. I'm certainly not. Because I believe that the LA crowd would 100% get behind Russell Westbrook if he was playing at a higher level. But he's simply not. And you have to wonder whether or not he just can't do that anymore. And if that's the case, that's regrettable. That's unfortunate. That time comes for all of us. I think Russell Westbrook can look better than this. But when we talk about why is he not just going at the rim, going right after these guys, he doesn't look like he's got the same burst. Certainly doesn't have the same finishing ability at the rim. And I wonder if even he, despite all the confidence that he professes to have, if he has started to doubt whether or not he can finish that shot. Again, that's me speculating. That's not based on anything Russ has said, but you can't help but wonder if that's the case. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Time to ship out Russ and none. Well, so none right now is really just an expiring contract. 
we've talked all about trading Russ, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but none. So here's the thing with Kendrick Nunn. Um, the Lakers will actually have early bird rights on him, which means they can pay him. They can go above the cap and pay him. They don't have that on anybody else. Like, hey, we haven't talked enough about Troy Brown Jr., by the way, who looked good. I thought it was telling that when the Lakers had out legitimate wings, not, not necessarily guys who are all-stars or even locks to be starters, anything like that. But you had Troy Brown, JTA, JTA out there. How much better they looked. Just by having a little bit of size, a little bit of length out there, they look so much better. The problem with those guys, though, is they're one-year veteran minimum contracts. Which means if the Lakers make a trade now, let's say they make a trade and they bring in Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. All right. They burn, They don't have any cap space now heading into next season because now you've got Buddy Heald's contract on the books for next season. You probably give an extension to Miles Turner. Cap space is gone. And that, that might be just fine. I'm not saying you don't do a trade because of that. It's just something you have to consider. It's a trade-off. Um, but let's say you do that. Okay, so now Lonnie Walker plays well. Let's say Troy Brown plays well. JTA plays well. These guys are all on one-year contracts. You do not have bird rights to go over the cap to keep them. They need three years on your roster for you to have full bird rights for them. Two years, you get early bird rights. You can at least have early bird rights on Kendrick Nunn. It allows you to keep him. And I think this is part of why the Lakers need him to find success because they don't have the ability to keep so much of this roster. But if they find something in Kendrick Nunn, they can actually pay him a little bit. Not quite full bird rights, but they can pay him a little bit. Maybe enough to where they get to keep him and they don't get to watch the Malik Monk situation play out all over again where he just increases his trade value as a Laker in the bright spotlight of LA and then takes a payday from the highest bidder. And I'm not faulting Malik Monk for that. Congratulations to him for resuscitating his career. But the Lakers aren't in a position where they can keep any of these guys with bird rights. Now, maybe like hey, if Troy Brown Jr. proves to be just indispensable, maybe you offer him your mid-level exception and you can hang on to him that way. But then that limits your ability to go spend in free agency. The only guy right now that you can keep using those early bird rights is Kendrick Nunn. That's it. And that's one of the downsides of having the turnover on the roster that we've seen, seeing players constantly cycle in and out. Each year, it's a new team. You are never in, an, in a position to obtain bird rights for a player, which you need in order to go over the cap and hang on to that talent. Instead, we're looking at another summer where the Lakers are just going to be, all right, veteran minimums, come on in. That's what they're going to be doing again next summer. And it's going to be a whole new team all over again. They've got to find some guys that they can commit to on longer term deals. And right now they don't have that except for Kendrick Nunn. And so that's why Kendrick Nunn saying ship him out. You have to remember that the ideal situation for the Lakers is that they find something with him because they might actually have an opportunity to keep him. Every time Troy Brown Jr. does something great, Every time JTA does something great in the back of my head, I'm thinking, man, but they're not going to be able to keep him. He's going to do something great for the Lakers and turn that into a big payday somewhere else. And that doesn't help this franchise long-term. So Kendrick Nunn, before you ship him out as an expiring contract, you need to be certain that he's not a long-term piece for you because you might just have an opportunity to hang on to him. Facts over feelings, right? Ham is full of bacon. Oh, little Dex, so funny. So punny. Yeah, look, Darvin Ham has said that. He had an opportunity to prove it. 
by benching Russ in the fourth quarter against the Blazers did not happen. I want to see what he does moving forward. Does that become the standard moving forward? Does it become, you know, he talked about it after the game. Does he go back to that and start um, and start benching players, specifically Russ down the stretch, or benching anybody who is not able to perform for them? Okay. Ivan says, AD hasn't scored 30-plus since February 22nd, two seasons ago. Not one 30-point game last year. Even when healthy, AD is no longer a top-10 player. No more if AD talk. That might be true if AD derived most of his value from scoring the basketball. He doesn't. I think what AD brings primarily to the Lakers is on the defensive end of the floor, and the advanced stats support that. If you look at last season, uh, where AD really helped the team was defensively. That's where they really struggled. In fact, their offense actually got worse with Anthony Davis on the floor. If you look at the advanced metrics, they scored less with Anthony Davis on the floor. However, their defense was so much better with him on the floor that he was still a net positive. So you're not necessarily looking at AD saying this guy needs to be a 30 plus point per game scorer. It would be nice if he occasionally did. And I think this speaks to his poor shooting that we've seen recently, particularly last season, um, as to why he hasn't had a 30 plus uh, point game but I don't think you look at Anthony Davis and you say well you know what he's not a top 10 player because he doesn't score 30 points if Anthony Davis is scoring I mean, what would what, he average like 28 points the year the Lakers won the championship averaging over 30 is not the most important thing for Anthony Davis now if DeMar DeRozan is suddenly averaging 15 points a game that's a big problem if Devin Booker is suddenly averaging 20 points a game, that's a big problem. Those guys get a lot of their value from scoring the basketball. And I'm not saying AD gets no uh, none of his value from scoring the ball, but he gets a lot of his value from other places as well. So I don't necessarily say that just not hitting the 30-point threshold is a sign that he's no longer a top player or that he no longer can be a top player. However, I will agree that it's not good when he hasn't even touched that number at all. That's certainly not ideal and something that we'd like to see change this year. Reginald Thomas. Oh, boy. Lakers have a LeBron problem. 0 for 5 in Golden State before he hit one. 2 for 8 at the Clippers. 2 for 9 against the Blazers. Ty Lue won't have it. Pat Riles won't have it. What, what they have, that they want him, what, to take less threes? And those are shots that he's getting. Those are shots that he's hit last season. He's not making them right now. Um, historically, he's been one of their better three-point shooters, so I can't fault him too much taking those looks but yes ideally he'd be making those shots the same thing is true for the entire roster 21 percent from three says that you need him not just taking shots but making shots and lebron's been again part of the problem in terms of the three-point shooting but the entire team has had that issue but again the difference is we have a history of lebron taking those shots and it being a winning play versus some other players where we don't uh, Jan says, we wasted a fantastic AD game. Russ is occupying salary and could be spent on needed pieces. Trevor, Sean, and Matt, I appreciate you. Thanks from Hawaii. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming in from uh, from Hawaii. We certainly appreciate you. But uh, yeah, look, that this is, this is where it truly gets frustrating is when you see LeBron having a good game, you see Anthony Davis having a good game, and you still don't get the win that you should have. The Lakers deserved to win that game against the Blazers until they hit the fourth quarter and they lost their minds. They put Russ back in the game and completely destroyed their offense. They were doing enough to win that game, even with their poor shooting, which is a 
mind-blowing that they were doing enough to win the game despite shooting so horrifically poorly. But when you see Anthony Davis have a game like that where he blocks, what, six shots and he's doing stuff on the boards and making plays and tip dunk and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, that, that game, that should get rewarded with the win. Instead, it's we did all of that and it's still not enough. And that's because of the shooting and because of the choices that you make. Russ occupying $47 million hurts. It hurts because you don't have the kind of depth, the kind of roster that you need. But this is the gamble the Lakers took when they brought him in. They, this isn't a surprise that they weren't going to have a lot of depth when you bring in Russell Westbrook and you trade away essentially four players in order to make it happen. You didn't bring back Alex Caruso. You're trading Trez, Kuzma, KCP in the deal. You knew that your depth was going to take a hit in doing this. And the hope was that Russ would be good enough where it wouldn't matter as much because he's so talented. He was a former MVP. Instead, what you've gotten is a Russell Westbrook who arguably isn't as good as any of those players they traded away individually. Maybe you could argue Montrezl Harrell, but if you if you told me you can have right now KCP or Russell Westbrook, I'm taking KCP. If you told me right now you could have Caruso or Russ, give me Caruso. If you could have Kuzma or Russ, give me Kuzma. And yet the Lakers have the guy who costs more than all of them combined that's not great. That's not great. And that's and you can see the trickle-down effect of that throughout the roster and why it's built out the way that it is on all these better and minimum deals. That move, and again, it's not Russ's fault that he's making $47 million. He was offered that money when he's an MVP-level player, and he took that contract. Can't fault him. That's not. It's not like he's to blame for that. But the Lakers aren't getting enough of a return on that $47 million. Nowhere near enough to the point where People are openly wondering, and I think there's an argument to be made about just sending him home and whether or not that's better for the Lakers if you're better off just not even having him on the team. Um, yeah, when you add all of that up, it's hard to win basketball games when you have $47 million that's essentially just being thrown out the window. You're not getting positive production. I still think Russ can be better than this, and I appreciate what we've seen from him on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's trying there. It's not enough to give the Lakers what they needed or what they hoped they were going to get when they made this trade. James Bell, if they play Russell again in the fourth, I'm boycotting until he's no longer on the team. Our time is precious to not waste. So he feels like fans, their time is being wasted by Russell Westbrook being on the floor. It is tough to watch sometimes. Last season was brutal. What fans went through last season, look, the players too, but what we went through last season was not easy. And if you're a fan and you're watching this, there's got to be there's got to be a point where you start this question like, do I really want to keep watching this? Do I want to keep putting myself through this? Again, I've said this team has done enough defensively where they give me some hope. They give me some reason to be hopeful that maybe find a trade and things can work out. I think one of the things that's interesting when, I, when you talk about sending Russ home does that make the Lakers better? Are the Lakers better if Russell Westbrook is just at home? I think you can argue both ways. I think you can. But if the Lakers are better just sending Russ home, then that means some of the value that you're getting in a Russell Westbrook trade, which is you're improving just by addition by subtraction, if you will, some of the value you're getting in a trade, you don't actually need to give up anything to get. You can get some of the, you can keep your picks and just send them home and become a better team that way if you buy that premise. 
Something to consider when the Lakers are looking at the trade front. Hulk Smash says, I was upset when we lost, but honestly, it's gotten to the point where I was kind of happy because we need a trade horrendous shot by West Brick, by the way. That is maybe the silver lining, that it's hard to watch games like the one against the Blazers and not come to the conclusion that you have to do something. If you're Rob Palenka, you've got to make a trade. His hand is being forced. That said, that's also a little scary. The Lakers have one shot at this if they're going to use both their first-round picks, both 2027 and 2029. They have one shot. You want them to have as much leverage as possible when they pull the trigger on a Russell Westbrook trade to get the best deal they can. Because if you mess this up, oh, you're in big, big trouble. Then you're really stuck if you mess this one up. So I'm not going to agree that it's a good thing necessarily that they're losing games. I think it will push them more towards making a deal, but I don't think it helps them in terms of their leverage. Whereas theoretically, if let's say there are 500 team, 20 games from now, 25 games from now, whatever it is, um, at least they can try to convincingly make the argument that they don't have to make a trade and try to convince teams of that. And maybe, maybe take back a little bit of leverage in negotiations, maybe have to pay a little bit less. I don't know. Teams around the NBA seem pretty dead set on making whatever the Lakers are going to do extra painful because teams see them as desperate. and They're going to try to fleece them in a trade. If the Lakers are 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 0 for 5, whatever it is, they're losing. That just increases the likelihood that teams are going to be able to get what it is that they want from the Lakers in a deal that they're going to be able to get the value that they want and not the value that the Lakers want. So that's where you got to be careful with that. But I do agree that if you're saying, look, just make a trade, get something done. You should have done something over the summer. Do it now. Losing games right now probably pushes them closer to, hey, we need to get something done. Unless it goes so far that they get to the point where they say, this is not worth saving. Whatever we can do will not save this. Therefore, it's not worth it. We are punting on the season effectively. Brian Windhorst made a case for that today, actually. Said the Lakers are going to have a bunch of cap space next summer. You also, in theory, have three picks to trade if you wait till next summer. Because on draft night, their pick, which could be the Pelicans pick, could be theirs uh, because of that pick swap situation, their draft pick becomes trade eligible as soon as it's a player. As soon as you use that pick and it's not a pick, it becomes a player, you can trade it. So on draft night, the Lakers will, in essence, have three picks that they could trade this year's pick, 2027 and 2029. Does that, in addition to having cap space available, give them opportunities that they don't have as of right now? Something to consider. Something that you have to think about. And if they do, but again, it would require effectively punting on this season. I don't think that's what the Lakers want to do. I don't know if you want to send that message. And my goodness, are we in for a long season if that is indeed the path they decide to travel down. We'll do a few more. LeBron's last shot was horrible. He's not your closer again. I'm not like you're not getting there without LeBron. So I'm not going to be overly critical of LeBron. Was the last shot good? No, it was not. But again, you get more good from bad than bad from him. Braun and Russ took terrible shots. Yeah, they both did. They both took terrible shots. Russ's was more the variety where he should not have taken that shot, period. I don't think LeBron's really falls into that same category. But Russ, essentially, if Russ had done anything else aside from turn the ball over, it would have been better than what he did. If Russ had kicked the ball out to any other player, it would have been a better situation than him pulling up for a 16-foot jump shot. 
That's why the Blazers Brent bench celebrated as soon as he shot it. Winston, odds they make it to Thanksgiving before making a trade. Well, I, I think the pressure is going to mount for them to get something done. And ultimately, they will do something. I think they're going to do it before Thanksgiving if things continue this way. If they start winning games, that buys them a little bit of time to maybe try to wait and see if something better comes along. But my guess is we do see something happen sooner rather than later because this has not gone according to plan. And it's so obvious what this team needs and how badly they need it and how good their defense is. And you want to see that get rewarded. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Koa said, starting to look like Ham is just full of it. I know a lot of people not happy that Ham said all that stuff about facts over feelings and then played Russ in the fourth quarter. Anyway, again, I would be shocked if he does that again. Jaden R., I'll be thankful for a Russ trade on Thanksgiving. Could that happen? Could we get a Thanksgiving Day Russ trade? That could be something to be, be thankful for. And again, that's that's not all, oh my gosh, we just have to get rid of Russell Westbrook. Part of that is understanding that in order to get the pieces this team needs, the only trade you can really make is with Russell Westbrook's contract. Maybe you can talk Patrick Beverly's $13 million. What are you really getting there? You're it's pretty much going to have to be a Russell Westbrook trade to get the stuff that you need. So that's not even so much just a shot at Russ. It's the reality of logistically, that's the, the contract that you have to move if you're going to get this done. All right, trade Bev for Richardson. Patrick Beverly to the Spurs for Josh Richardson, then Westbrook to the Hornets or Pacers. So what are you going to give up to the Spurs, though, to get Josh Richardson? Because do the Spurs want Patrick Beverly? This young, rebuilding team that has some guards on it and everything. Do they want Patrick Beverly? No. He doesn't. He's not a positive value for them. He'll be a positive value on the floor and everything, but do they want him? No. If Patrick Beverly was 25, sure. He's not. He's 34. So you're going to have to incentivize the Spurs to do that deal. What are you giving them? Are you giving them a first? And then if you are, first of all, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't give up a first with Patrick Beverly to get Josh Richardson. But then then you're talking about Russ to the Hornets or the Pacers. Well, if you give up a first or, or some type of draft capital in order to swap Josh Richardson for Patrick Beverly, well, then you don't have as much to go incentivize the Hornets to do a deal or incentivize the Pacers. So it gets complicated if you're doing that. I don't see an obvious Patrick Beverly trade for the Lakers. Maybe that changes by the trade deadline. I think more likely than not, they're just going to focus on a rush trade and try to get the pieces back in that trade, multiple pieces that will allow them to take the next step. Kevin said, as a basketball fan, this is more sad to watch LeBron go through this than the Lakers. This isn't working for either side, wasting the GOAT. See, I'm always going to look at this from the perspective of a Lakers fan. It's what I am. It's what I grew up as. This is the team I grew up around. Part of why I feel so incredibly blessed and fortunate to get to do this. But I understand LeBron fans being particularly upset. And look, if you are a LeBron fan, if you are a basketball fan, you're not a Lakers fan, then 100% you are beyond frustrated 
that the Lakers aren't moving the 2027 and 2029 first round pick just yet because you don't care about those picks. Those picks mean less than zero to you. If you're not a Lakers fan, you don't care whether or not the Lakers have future draft capital. You don't care what the team's going to look like after LeBron is gone. That does not matter at all to you because you care about basketball or you care about LeBron and that's it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just approach it from a Lakers fan standpoint. This is Lakers nation after all. So I'm not going to say it's more sad to watch LeBron go through this than the Lakers. It's sad in general. It's sad seeing what's happened to this franchise over the last, what, nine, 10 seasons, nine seasons, I guess. Um, so many missed playoffs, so many uh, down years, so many years where we're just kind of hoping that things will click together. There's also been a championship in there where things were great. Finally, um, felt like everything was right in the world again. The Lakers were on top of the NBA. And we've had some rough years um, in between, some rough times. So it's not working. It is unfortunate what's gone on with LeBron. It's unfortunate if LeBron spends the last few years of his career not contending for a championship. I think the Lakers need to make a move if they're going to give him that opportunity. But they also have to be careful and make sure that that move allows him to do that, allows him to contend. Like if you go get, let's say you get Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre. Are those guys that fit? Yes. Are those guys that put you over the top? Probably not. Probably not. So is that worth doing then? Or is it? are you better off just biting the bullet, dealing with the pain right now and hoping something better comes along, hoping you can hold on until something better happens? That's what the Lakers are doing. And I'll tell you this too. Rob Palenka, the Lakers, they've got to be careful that whatever they do, as much as they're saying, we're going to commit right now to LeBron, we're going to do everything we can to help him win, and that's great. They have to be careful that whatever they do doesn't completely destroy their future. For example, if they had given both those first-round picks to do that deal with the Utah Jazz. Now, their theory would have been a 2023 first coming back, but let's say you go get Rudy Gay, you get Mike Conley, you get Boyan Bogdanovich. Three players in their mid-30s. Bogdanovich is the youngest at 33. LeBron sails away two seasons from now, goes to play with Bronny, and the Lakers decide, okay, we're going to go into a rebuild. Are you getting anything out of Conley, Bogdanovich, Rudy Gay? How many of them are even still around at that point? You have no opportunity to turn them into something else. Now, you get Miles Turner, who's, what, 27-ish, something like that. Two years from now, okay, he's 29. Got him under contract. You decide, you know, we're going to go into a rebuild. Great, you can take him, assuming he's healthy, and trade him away and get stuff in return. Get draft capital. Can refill, restock your shelves with draft picks. So for the Lakers, it's not just about, hey, we need to get LeBron the help that we need right now. It's, we need to get LeBron the help that, he, that we need right now. But ideally, we also need to get players who, if push comes to shove a couple of years from now, in theory, will still have value and we can get something for them. And we can really pivot with them and we can use them to help jumpstart the next era. That's what you have to be careful with if you're the Lakers. Ayo Farkash said, was helping the Pelicans get Wembyama part of the AD deal? It's the only explanation for keeping Russ. That's the other piece to this. And look, the pick, it's a sunk cost at this point. You want to win because you want to win. It's not, hey, we really need to play keep away with the Pelicans. But it doesn't hurt, right? You want to win. If you lose games, 
the Pelicans just cheer that much louder. All it does is help them because of the pick swap situation. If the Lakers are a lottery team and you hand another lottery pick to the Pelicans, that just makes the AD trade sting that much worse. Now, again, it was worth it. They won a championship, but you don't want to do stuff now that just keeps adding value to the Pelicans. You already gave them a lottery pick last year when you shouldn't have. You weren't expecting to. You were expecting to give them a pick that was somewhere in the 20s. Now, this season, you don't want to compound that by giving them another lottery pick. Heaven forbid they get Victor Wembanyama and pair him with Zion Williamson. You definitely don't want to do that. So the Lakers have all the incentive in the world to win right now because they don't get their pick necessarily. They'll get a pick, but chances are they're not going to have their pick. The Pelicans are going to wind up taking that, and the Lakers will get the Pelicans pick. So it's going to be important that the Lakers do what they can to win games right now. Again, you have to balance that with, do we make the right move? Do we find the right time to make the right move? Are we giving up the appropriate assets? There's so many different things that the Lakers have to consider in this trade front. But ultimately, yes, losing games right now does not help them. There is no silver lining to it whatsoever. None. If they had their pick, we could say, well, you know what? Maybe this season is a wash, but at least they can get into the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes and if they get him, holy moly, off they go. Can't happen. So there is zero incentive to lose games right now. There is no silver lining. Nigel said, Braun and AD didn't like Russ's shot. There's a video. Yeah, and a few plays before that, Russ looked frustrated that AD sent him in the corner, into the corner and faced the floor. The body language isn't great. Not expected to be, but that's the other piece to all of this is that how awkward is this for the players? Everybody knowing it's just a matter of time before the Lakers pull the trigger on a Russell Westbrook trade, knowing that they almost traded him the night before media day knowing that that's the big move that's still looming, that it's just a matter of time, essentially. It's not easy. It's not easy for a team to operate under, and you can see the frustration with LeBron and AD, not necessarily because of the entire situation in that moment, but because of the decision made by Russ. I do wonder how much moving on from Russ, as much as we talk about on the court, how much does it just clear the air? How much does it allow this team to kind of breathe and not have to get asked after every single game about Russell Westbrook and not have to deal with constant wondering, hey, if I pick up my phone today, is it going to tell me? Is there going to be a Woj bomb saying Russ just got traded? Not having that uncertainty hanging over your head. How much does that mean to this team? I don't know. I think it's not nothing. All right, we'll do a few more. And then uh, we'll call it for this show. Ace of Hearts said, honestly, glad glad we lost because had we won, it's uh, the pressure to trade Russ wouldn't be what it is now, which is sad. I'm not going to be glad they lost for anything, even if you are looking at that as a silver lining, because I'm worried about what kind of a deal they're going to get if they are under so much pressure to do something. Aritro, please listen to what Chauncey said about Russ. Yeah, he said that he put... Uh, Nurkic on Russ because he was going to let him play off of him. He didn't go into great detail, but essentially the message was that, hey, we don't have to defend Russell Westbrook. Again, that's not what he said, but he said that Nurkic would uh, play off of Russell Westbrook. The Blazers knew that down the stretch, you can put your center on Russ, and by on Russ, I'm using air quotes for those listening to the podcast, um, that means not defending him at all. That means your center just camps in the paint and cuts things off. There was a pick and roll with LeBron and AD where AD went to drive down the lane and there's Yusuf Nurkic. Why is he standing there? Because he's defending Russell Westbrook. Not really. He's leaving him all alone because they don't care if Russ gets the ball and shoots a three. That's a win for them if he's shooting threes. 
it's a win for them if he's pulling up and shooting 16 footers. So that's a problem. And that's why Darvin Ham made a mistake going back to him. Mamba mentality. Crazy how we are a shooter away to having a two and one record. Yeah. I mean, you're literally a few three point makes away from being two and one, and the entire narrative around this team changes. Nia Timmons said LeBron and AD's reaction to the rush shot says it all. Yeah, again, they were they were not pleased, nor should they be. A lot of Lakers fans were upset. I, on the, the live stream on playback, I was upset. Not happy with that shot. Sean Davis was not happy either. I think Lakers fans around the world probably all had the same reaction uh, where we were just in disbelief over what we had just seen. Digital Snowflake says trade three first-round picks to get rid of Westbrook. But you don't have three first-round picks to trade until the summer. So do you want to wait until then? If you do, then you can trade three firsts. Although by the summer, Russ's contract will have dropped off your books. So you don't have to worry about it. Last one. Mike E. said, This team lacks leadership. I don't care who the player is. Kobe wouldn't allow stupidity like that Russ shot. Leadership on the floor isn't apparent. Well, I do wonder where we go from here. How much of this is made clear to Russ between the end of the Blazers game and the start of their next game? That's where I think we'll find out where the leadership is on this team or is not. I think it's going to be important. All right, Lakers Nation, we'll stop there. Um, I am going to do a preview for the Nuggets versus Lakers game coming up on Wednesday. I'll have a special guest for that. We'll break down what we're hoping to see. And I will finish off the last few of the questions coming in from Lakers fans. So look out for that podcast coming as well. I know you guys are getting all kinds of bonus podcasts right now, but lots going on, lots to talk about. Appreciate all of you for being here with us. Make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Ring that notification bell as well. And don't forget, go find us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Till next time, see ya and stay safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.